Hi, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, with the goal of engaging the city and impacting the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. Abraham Joseph. If you want to know more about Calvary Baptist Church and its ministries, head over to www.cbcnyc.org. Let's go to God in prayer before we look to His Word. Our Father and our God, we thank You for this morning that we have been granted this privilege to be Your people, to come and hear Your Word so that we may be formed after Christ, to be His witnesses uh, to the ends of the earth, wherever, wherever You send us, that God, in how we live and what we say, we may show this world that in Christ Jesus there is hope for anyone and everyone who turns to Him and calls on Him by faith. Form us in Christ by your word, by your spirit, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We are looking to the gospel of Mark to recognize who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Uh, this morning we are in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52, where Jesus asked this question, what do you want me to do for you? But I want to ask you that question, but for a moment to set the context, forget that you are in church and it's your pastor that is asking this question. Uh, what if this question was asked by your coworker or your neighbor or your spouse, how would you answer this? Uh, what would you ask for today if Jesus were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? Health. 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 Employment. Employment. <laughs> World peace. World peace. A, great A great marriage. All of these things are wonderful things to ask for. Uh, last Sunday we met uh, two brothers to whom the same question was presented. And you know what they asked for, right? Uh, greatness. Uh, uh, yeah, greatness is kind of in short supply and everybody seems to be on a quest for that through various ways of influencing people, I guess. Uh, but this morning the same question is presented to another person and how he answers that question is important for us if we are to recognize Jesus for who he is and to follow him. We are at the end of the third section of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus has been making his way from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south uh, to fulfill the mission for which he has come. Uh, to give his life as a ransom for many as we heard him say in the last passage that we look at. Next week we will be in Jerusalem along with Jesus as we begin chapter 11. Uh, we come to the end of this uh, third section which Marcus uh, presented to us with what is known as an inclusio, a literary device. This is, section is bookended uh, from the beginning and at the end with the story of two stories of blind men being healed. Uh, yes, these were two blind men who were healed, but this these healings are more than just healing stories. Jesus has already established who he is through his various works of power, his exorcisms, his uh, healing diseases, even raising the dead. But Mark brings these two uh, stories of Jesus healing blind men uh, to bookend this middle section where Jesus predicts three times of why he's going to Jerusalem and what he's going to do there. That he's going to Jerusalem to die and to rise again. And every, every time Jesus makes these predictions, uh, the disciples uh, respond incorrectly. They don't seem to comprehend uh, 
the person of Jesus, especially his mission. The first time Jesus makes this prediction is right after Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. And that's the right confession. Jesus is indeed the Christ. Uh, and we learn from the other Gospels that it is through divine insight that Peter recognizes Jesus as the Christ. But right after that, as Christ, Jesus tells him, as Christ, as the Messiah, he has come to die. And for Peter, that's unacceptable. Christ is the conqueror. Christ is the one who puts to death his enemies. Christ is not the one in Peter's expectation, one who would die at the hands of his enemies. And he rebukes the one whom he has just confessed as Christ. And Jesus sets him right, teaches him about disciple. To be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is to take up the cross and follow him. The second time Jesus predicts that, uh, but, but we know that Peter is not alone in that. All the others have shared the same wrong expectation of Peter. So that becomes clear in the second time when Jesus again predicts his death. Now this time not just Peter, but all of the disciples are arguing among themselves which one of them is the greatest. Unseemly, we would say. But Jesus yet does not reject them. He teaches them again about discipleship. In the kingdom of God, he who seeks to be first must be last of all. That same thing was true. The last section we looked at, which was where Jesus made his third prediction about what he was going to do in Jerusalem, that he would be arrested by the Jewish leaders and, and beaten and handed over to the Gentiles who would put him to death. But he will be raised again on the third day. And this time, it's not just... Uh, First, it's two disciples to come to him, James and John, with this strange request. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus asked the same question. We considered, uh, what do you want me to do for you? And they want a place at his right hand, at his left hand. Places of authority, places of greatness. And Jesus tells them, no, that's not how life in the kingdom works. For those who want to be in his kingdom, uh, those who seek to be in the kingdom need to be the least of all, but more than that, they need to be servant of all, because that is what it takes to follow Jesus, because he presents his mission statement in 1045. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of Man, the Son of Man is the, the title of, uh, of the one who, who would come with all power and authority as Daniel prophesied, but Jesus redefines the Son of Man. The Son of Man is not only the Lord of glory prophesied by Daniel, but he's also the suffering servant prophesied by Isaiah. So even that one has come, had come to not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And to follow him, then one needs to be a servant. And that's what he calls his disciples to do. We have seen the improper uh, responses of the disciples. But Mark presents these two stories of the blind men to show the, the spiritual condition of the disciples. At the front end, there's this uh, blind man in Bethsaida. Somebody brings this blind man to Jesus for healing, and it's a two-stage healing. At his first touch, they can see, this man is able to see, but not clearly. He's able to see men as though they were trees. And it takes a second touch before they are able to, he's able to see clearly. But now there's another blind man who is going to be healed, and he sees immediately. Mark presents these two blind men to show us what the disciples were like. They were more like the first blind man. They're able to see something. They rightly recognize Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Lord of glory, but they don't recognize his mission. They reject his mission. They don't see clearly. Will they continue on like the first blind man, or will be this like the blind man that 
we're going to look at today, who receives his sight and follows after Jesus. So turn with me to Mark 10, 46 to 52. We will look at it in two sections, the, the cry of the blind man and then the healing of the blind man. Mark 10, 46 to 52. We read in verse 46, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. They came to Jericho. Jericho is about 20 miles northeast of Jerusalem. From there it was a, a trek, a, a day-long journey to get to Jerusalem. And that was the last town one would stop before getting into Jerusalem. Uh, the last place that the pilgrims would rest before reaching Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover. That's where traffic has picked up. It's not just Jesus and his disciples. A great crowd is going along with them from Jericho to Jerusalem where not only there will be a celebration of the Passover festival, but it will be also Jesus reaching his destination where he will fulfill his destiny to give his life as a ransom for many and be raised on the third day as he has predicted three times so far. And we, and we meet this man Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. And we are told that he's the son of Timaeus. Uh, this is the first person who receives from healing from Jesus who is actually named. We have other people who are healed uh, whose relatives are named. For example, Peter's mother-in-law's uh, mother-in-law is healed, or Jairus's daughter is healed. But we don't have the name of the daughter or the mother-in-law. Uh, but here, this is the first man who is named. His name is Bartimaeus. Uh, we are, the explanation is given that means he's the son of Timaeus. His father is Timaeus. Timaeus is a Greek word that means honor. So he's the son of honor. Uh, because of his Greek name, some people think he's a Gentile. Jesus had healed Gentiles before, the Gerasene demoniac, the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Uh, so it's not surprising, but it's possible that he's a Jew as well. Jesus had uh, his disciple, one of his disciples is Philip, which is a Greek name, but he's Jewish. But whatever he is, he is named. And we need to ask, why is it that only this man is singled out for this honors? Is it because he's the son of honor that his name is mentioned? Uh, no, uh, for another reason. Because it's not just merely a healing story. This is the story of a call to discipleship. And one who re receives that call and follows Jesus. Everyone who responds rightly to Jesus' call is named. The, the, the twelve are named because they followed Jesus. And so also this man. Because he is not just a healed blind man. But he's one who will follow Jesus. A disciple of Jesus. We met another man in the same chapter 10, a few verses ago, in chapter 10, verses 17 to following, uh, where a man, just as this blind beggar, uh, would come to Jesus and uh, would want to know what it means to inherit eternal life. And Jesus ultimately tells him to, to go and give away all his possessions and then come and follow him. That man doesn't. And we don't know his name. This man does follow Jesus and he, his name, but we are told that he's a, a blind beggar. Unlike the rich man who was at the top of the social uh, strata, we have one who's at the, at the bottom rung of how society valued people. A blind beggar, a blind man, blind people were usually among the poorest of the poor, the lowliest in the social pecking order. Uh, his, his situation is pathetic. We will see, soon see how the crowd responds to him with disdain. And that, and, and that and their response to him indicates uh, how, what they consider his worth. He may be the son of honor, but they definitely do not think he was. But he's among the last, 
And Jesus had good news for those who were among the last because the last, according to Jesus, will be first. And we are told this man was sitting by the roadside. Uh, that's not a place of honor. The son of honor is seated by the wayside. Uh, the word that's translated by the roadside is, is the word the way. The way functions both literally as the way, the road uh, that Jesus walks on from Galilee to Jerusalem. But it's also the way where Jesus teaches about discipleship. So it's the way of following Jesus. And this man is sitting by the way. The controlling parable in the gospel of Mark is the parable of sower, of the sower in Mark chapter 4. Where there are different responses to the sowed word uh, that shows us how different people in the story respond to Jesus. Uh, some of the seeds fall along the side of the road, on the, side, on, the, on the way. Do you remember what happens to those seeds? The birds come and peck them away and the fruit and the word does not bear fruit. So here we find someone seated at the side of the road, on the wayside. See, both the rich man and the blind man meet Jesus on the way. One rejected Jesus' call. And what will this man do? Let's find out. We read in verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He heard. The news about Jesus has spread. Even a blind man on the roadside not only knows about Jesus, but also that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, he's an example of faithful hearing, unlike those people who have ears to hear, but do not hear. And we will see that he will also soon receive eyes to see rightly. And who is it that is, he has heard is coming? Is Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, while Jesus was still in Galilee, his, his fame had spread wide and people from all over had flocked to him. And this blind man has also heard about who Jesus was and what he has done and the, and the works of miracles. Maybe he had even heard about the healing of the blind man in Bethsaida and his hopes are kindled. Here was someone, uh, maybe the only one who could help him. And he began to cry out and say, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He began to cry out. In the words of Hamilton, he's not going to throw, out, throw away his shot. He had nothing to lose and his sights to gain. So he takes the initiative to call, on, call out to Jesus. The, the blind man from Bethsaida, he was passive. Somebody brought him to Jesus. But not this man, Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus actively pursued Jesus. And he calls on Jesus, the son of Timaeus, calls Jesus the son of David. This is the first time we hear this name in the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is the son of David. See, the son of David is a messianic title, equal to the confession of Peter, that you are the Christ. We know that Peter was able to make the right confession that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, only by divine insight that was given to him. It was not something that he recognized on his own. But now this blind man has this insight that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of David. Where did he get that from? The God who gave that insight to Peter is able to give it to blind Bartimaeus as well. Son of David... Uh, is, is not only a messianic title, but one that's just loaded with uh, royal and nationalistic uh, nuances. It's all the more appropriate that this title is used now, just about Jesus is, when Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem, the capital city, the city of David. In the next passage, we look at chapter 11, uh, where Jesus is in Jerusalem. The crowd will acknowledge him as the son of David. 
And later on, just as much as Jesus reoriented them to their expectation, their understanding of the Son of Man, that the Son of Man is not only the Lord of glory, but the suffering servant, he will also help them to see that when they confess him as Son of David, he is more than just a mere Son of David. In chapter 12, we will see that the Son of David is also the Lord of David. Usually when the royal title is given, uh, it's given to uh, somebody who's a militaristic figure. So son of David, the expectation of son of David going into Jerusalem is to conquer his enemies. Uh, but what this man asks for is mercy. Have mercy on me. This man recognizes as son of David, uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's promise that the deliverer who is to come, the Messiah, will come with healing. The blind man again demonstrates extraordinary insight. Uh, he asks for Jesus to be merciful to him. He's not like James and John uh, who not only come with this uh, uh, entitlement that Jesus would do, would, would, would has to do whatever they ask for and even make uh, uh, commitments that they can't keep, that they, will, they were willing to drink the cup and uh, be baptized with the baptism that he was going to be baptized. This man makes no claims. Teacher. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, they asked. Bartimaeus says, Lord, have mercy on me. You may recognize from the Psalms that that's, those words are usually posed to God to ask for his help. Psalm 6, Psalm 9, Psalm 122. Lord, have mercy on me. And it's interesting that Bartimaeus asked Jesus, have mercy on me. Does, Mart does Bartimaeus know that the son of David is more than the son of David, that he's the Lord of David? How does the crowd respond to him? And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on, him, on me. Uh, this section is full of rebukes. You know, Peter rebuked Jesus. Jesus rebuked Peter back. And now the crowd rebukes Bartimaeus. Uh, they dishonor the son of honor. They, re they, they rebuke him because they don't think he has any status uh, to come to Jesus. And people without status can usually be forced into silence. In, in Bethsaida, there were people who were uh, willing and did bring a blind man to Jesus for healing. But in Jericho, people prevent a needy blind man from coming to Jesus. But Jesus will overcome the rebuke and this blind man will persist. They tell him to be silent. The disciples did something similar when people tried to bring their children to them. And, and they didn't think the children were worthy of Jesus' time. And just as much as they tried to send them away, this, tried, this crowd tries to silence him. Uh, they didn't think he's worthy of the Messiah's time. But he cried out all the more. He will not be silenced by the crowd. He, he, he cries out even more loudly, doesn't give up. Just because an annoyed crowd didn't think he was worth the trouble for the Messiah. And whatever his name may be, um, he will be, as the crowd perceives it, he will be received with honor by the son of David. He will not be silent. See, Bartimaeus will not miss the opportunity to receive mercy from the only one who can help him. He will not let a silencing, obstructive crowd stop him from calling out, calling upon the name of the Messiah. He seeks mercy and he will receive it. Son of David, have mercy on me. How did Jesus respond? And Jesus stepped, stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. I said earlier that this is more than just a healing story, it's a calling story. 
And uh, Mark clues us in here with the, with, with the word for calling that Jesus usually uses in calling disciples to himself. Not once, but three times here. Jesus says, call him. And he calls them, calls him through the crowd. And the crowd called the blind man, saying, Jesus is calling you. Get up, he is calling you. Jesus calls the man through that same crowd. Jesus stops for this man when he hears this cry. He's the one who came not to be served, but to serve. Even uh, to give his life as a ransom for many. And even as he proceeds on that mission to give his life as a ransom for many with a great sense of urgency. Remember in the last section, he was leading the crowd, the disciples to Jerusalem. But here, he takes the time to stop and care for this one who is considered the last of all. He embraced the child earlier when the disciples would not let them come to him and, and say that would be the kind of person who would be permitted into the kingdom. And here he calls a blind man by the wayside to himself. No one is too insignificant for Jesus. Jesus welcomes all who would come to him. And the silencers now become the channel for the call because they tell the blind man that Jesus is calling him. Uh, get up. He's calling you. They're even, uh, uh, encourage him, take heart, be of good courage. Uh, the same words were spoken by Jesus to the disciples when they saw Jesus walking on the water and they feared greatly. Jesus would use the same words, take heart, be of good courage. And so also this blind man is encouraged. Jesus has heard his cry. We read in verse 50, and throwing off his cloak, he sprung up and came to Jesus. The blind man responds right away. He throws away his only possession, the cloak that he probably used to cover himself at night. I, I don't know, we don't see beggars outside our places of worship here in the, in, in the city. But I've come from places where in every place of worship there will be people who are begging. Because people who come to religious places like on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Where they're going to, on a pilgrimage. They feel pious and pious people give alms to the poor. And they spread their cloaks to receive that, uh, the, the alms that are given to them. Uh, and this man, we are told, he throws away his cloak, uh, maybe with, along with all the money that was on, all the coins that were thrown at him. The only possession he had, he throws it away to spring up and come to Jesus. See that rich man earlier? He came to Jesus asking for eternal life. He appeared to be a pious man who claimed to keep all the commandments, but when Jesus said, that he needs to sell all his possession and follow him, he balks because he's too attached to his possession to give them up for something far greater than he could have ever imagined. Well, what this man gave, gave up was much meager compared to what the rich man was asked, but yet he throws away the cloak. He's very much like the disciples. Remember when Jesus called Peter and Andrew? They left his nets, their nets and their catch, and they followed Jesus. Remember when Jesus called James and John? They left their father and their boats and followed Jesus. Remember when Jesus called Matthew, who had a, this lucrative career as a tax collector? He gave it up and followed Jesus. This blind man, all that he had to give up was his cloak, and he threw that away and followed, came to Jesus. He sprang up. Mark marks his enthusiasm. He was sitting by the wayside begging for alms, and Jesus calls him. He springs up. He's not going to wait. He's still blind. But 
as often people who lose uh, one sense or compensate with the greater sense of uh, other things. He, he knows where Jesus is and he goes to Jesus. And Jesus said to him the same thing he said to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, what do you want for me to do for you? The same words. And James and John asked for the wrong thing. The sons of thunder had some sense of entitlement. Uh, uh, he wanted, they wanted him to grant them whatever they asked for. They made claims about their commitment that as we read along, read on, they'll fail to keep. This blind man, on the other hand, asked for the right thing with no sense of presumption whatsoever. He only asks for mercy. He's conscious of his inability to, to make any claims before Jesus. Uh, it's possible that Jesus asks Bartimaeus this question, not for the benefit of Bartimaeus, he knows what Bartimaeus wants, but for the benefit of the disciples so that they may know what is the right answer to this question. How one enters into the kingdom is not by seeking places of honor, but by asking for mercy. Rabbi, Rabboni, actually, let me recover my sight. He's been blind, he's been able to see before, I guess. He's lost his sight somehow. He wants to recover, regain his sight. But the word that he uses to address Jesus, Rabboni, it's, it's more than just teacher. The disciples call him rabbi or didaskali, teacher. Uh, but this is Rabboni, is my teacher. There's only one other person in the gospel who uses that word. Uh, some of you have, may have recognized that. It's Mary Magdalene. After the resurrection of Jesus in John chapter 20, uh, where she finally, she thought he was the gardener, and, and, and then finally she recognizes, and, her, and she calls Rabboni, my teacher. Uh, scholars say that uh, sometimes rabbis use that name to address God. Bartimaeus asked from Jesus only what God is able to do. If you look through the Old Testament, there are many miracles in, in the Old Testament, but there's no one, there's no record of any blind people being healed. Old Testament tells us in Psalm 146, 8, Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Isaiah 29, 18, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Only God can heal the blind. And this man comes to Jesus and said, Lord, I want to see. Who did you think Jesus was? If he knew that Jesus, only God could heal the blind. He knew that Jesus had the power to grant his request. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus said to him, go your way. Jesus is not saying go away. He, doesn't, he says you don't have to go back to the side of the road to beg. You can go whatever you want. Your faith has made you well. Just like the woman with the 12-year bleeding who would not let a crowd stop her, but but says, if, even if I touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. And she makes her way through the crowd, defiled as she was, and touches the hem of the garment, receives healing. Jesus calls her out of the crowd and tells her, your faith has made you well. This man gets the same word because he ranks in that same rank of these people who have persisted in their faith in coming to Jesus and receiving from him what only he can give. Remember the four friends of the paralytic? They won't let the crowd stop them. They will tear open a roof to bring their friend to Jesus because Jesus can do for his friend only what only Jesus can do. And they persist in their faith. We are told there that Jesus seeing their faith. 
There are others. Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher. Jairus won't stop because Jesus says only believe. And he persists in his faith. The Syrophoenician woman, Jesus says uh, he came for the people of God. She knows she's a Gentile, but she persists in her faith. She says even dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the table. She persists and, she, and Jesus grants to her what she asks for. Uh, even people with faith that is not quite so sure, like the father of the, the demonized boy who brings his son to the disciples while Jesus is being transfigured on the mountain and they can't heal him and, and when he still persists, he stays for Jesus. And he confesses to Jesus, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Persistent, weak faith still receives what only Jesus can give. All those who have faith express it in action. The word uh, that's translated made you well is also the word for salvation. Uh, so it could very well be translated, your faith has saved you. It's often used in, the, in cases like this where somebody has been healed from a medical condition. Uh, but it can also be used for salvation. And in the case of Bartimaeus, uh, given his response that we will see in a minute, it probably has more than just connotations of physical healing. Here's a man who has found entry into the kingdom of God that has drawn near in Jesus. We heard read in Isaiah 42 when Eunice read in verse 16, And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. And Bartimaeus is not forsaken. Immediately. That's Mark's favorite word. Immediately, this is no two-stage healing like in Bethsaida, seeing like trees and then seeing men. Uh, he could see again, he could see immediately, and the miracle happened at the word of Jesus. Usually Jesus touches someone, but here not even a touch is required. He speaks, and the man is healed. And what did he do? Told he followed him on the way. Man was sitting along the wayside begging, now follows Jesus on the way. Uh, that, that phrase, on, following him on the way, is just packed with discipleship realities in Mark's gospel. He, he heeds Jesus' call, although he did not receive the call. The rich man received that call, follow me, he didn't. This man didn't even receive the call. Jesus said, go, go your way, and he follows Jesus on the way. The metaphor for walking in the way of discipleship. He recognizes the person of Jesus. That he's the son of David, the Christ, the Messiah. He recognizes the mission of Jesus. He's going to Jerusalem. Where he's going to give his life as a sacrifice. As a ransom for many. And he follows Jesus unlike the rich man. And unlike the disciples. Who like the blind man from Bethsaida see something but not all that they need to see. They're able to see that he is the Christ but they don't want and reject the mission of the Messiah to give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples are like the first blind man. They see only partially. The, the Jewish leaders and the Gentile rulers are blind. They don't see Jesus at all for who he really is. And they will hand him over to be crucified. But their act of ignorance will be the means by which Jesus will accomplish his mission. The healing of Bartimaeus uh, not only ends this section of Mark's uh, gospel where Jesus completes his journey. But it transitions us into the next section where Jesus finds himself in Jerusalem. And he's recognized as 
the son of David. And Jesus goes forward in his appointed mission to give his life as a ransom for many, but he has gained a new follower. The formerly blind Bartimaeus. See, Mark's audience, his original readers, and now we are summoned to follow the example of Bartimaeus and follow Jesus. Do we see him for who he is? Do we recognize his mission? Will we answer his call to follow him? All sections of scripture, all passages, every word points to Jesus. So first thing we see about this passage is who is this Jesus? Uh, for the first time in this passage, he's identified as the son of David uh, by a blind man at that. A blind man makes the messianic confession. He, he recognizes Jesus as the one whom Isaiah prophesied about. The one who with righteousness will judge the needy, with justice will give decisions to the poor of the earth. This is the one the psalmist spoke of, who will deliver the needy, who cry, who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He is the Messiah who had come to give sight to the blind and to unstop deaf ears. He is the Messiah, the root, the offspring of David, who Revelation says will come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Judge of the Universe, yet at His first coming, He comes as the Lion who is the Lamb who was slain. As the Son of David, as the Royal King, He is the one with all authority. But He expresses His authority not by military might, but by serving the least. Healing and mercy for the outcast, for the lowly. The one who has come not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He humbly serves Bartimaeus, a, a blind man who the crowd didn't think was worth his time. Bartimaeus wouldn't even have been allowed into the temple because of his blindness, but he's welcomed by God in the person of his son. Jesus heals not just physical blindness, but he can heal spiritual blindness as well. Bartimaeus had real blindness, but the rich man was blind too. He was blinded by his possessions. The disciples were blind too. They were blinded by their expectations of what the Messiah would do. We need to ask ourselves. We can't assume that we can see just because we have eyes. So, Jesus is able to give sight. Will we come to him? Will we see him for who he is? Son of God, son of David. But to rightly recognize him is to answer his call. To follow him, even if that means taking up his cross. But while we make our way there in following Jesus, there's a crowd that obstructs. Be quiet. We live in a culture that is hostile to God and to his ways. Uh, those who try to or seek to follow Jesus in his way can be or are intimidated. Uh, we are told you can follow any spiritual quest you want, but. Uh, uh, if you walk according to the way of Christ, according to what scripture, uh, your ways are antiquated and you find yourself in the wrong, on the wrong side of history, we're told. Uh, sometimes we listen to those voices and we are intimidated. Uh, sometimes when I talk to young people or children, uh, I'm told that uh, they can't speak of their relationship with Christ in their workplace or in their school. Because uh, those are places there's a sil where there's a silencing crowd. You're fine, you can talk about sports and weather and what you're streaming on Netflix or what's trending on TikTok, but mention Jesus, they're asked to shut up. See, churches too succumb to such cultural pressure and affirm things that scripture clearly prohibits. See, our task as a church is, is to equip ourselves 
in our faith so that we may engage in the mission of following Jesus, knowing him and making him known by our lives of obedience. Uh, sometimes we are silent because we are afraid or, or we do not know how to share. Next month, all four Sundays of February, uh, we have an evangelism class that helps us not only to share the gospel clearly, uh, share our testimony, but also to see how we can direct our conversations with people uh, that we normally meet with, beyond sports, beyond weather, to things that matter eternally, to their real need for Jesus. See, we can not only be hindered by the crowd, we can be the crowd that hinders people from coming to Jesus. Uh, how are we that? You know, we, none of us would admit here that uh, we actually are like the crowd that says, uh, don't waste his time. He's, you're not worthy of him. All of us here probably desire that all people come to know uh, God through Christ. Uh, but probably more subtly, in, in even this not speaking of our faith is in one way hindering people from coming to Jesus. Or maybe we have written off some people as beyond salvation because of what we see them as. Terrible sinners for whom there is no hope. Sometimes we hinder people because we are not sensitive to their needs. Uh, like that blind man, there are people with disabilities who have special needs if they were to access places of worship and so on. Will we be sensitive to that? Where do we focus our ministries? Is, is it just toward uh, gaining members for our church or is it for making Jesus known, engaging the city and impacting the world with the goodness of Jesus Christ? All these are questions we need to ask ourselves, both as individuals and as a church. Finally, in this section, we meet a true disciple. After all these, the people we expect to be true disciples, the 12 who have been with Jesus, who have been taught by Jesus, who have been sent by Jesus, still don't follow Jesus as they ought to. But we have in this blind man, uh, somebody who embodies what it means to see, what it means to perceive, what it means to understand, what it means to follow Jesus. Witherington tells us eight things about this man that are of a true disciple. He knows what he needs and that he needs Jesus' help. That's where it starts, knowing our need, that what we need is more than place on the right and place on the left of Jesus. We need help. We need salvation. Uh, he persistently calls on Jesus and will not be stopped by those who try to silence him. Uh, he comes with no sense of entitlement. He simply asks for mercy. And he recognizes Jesus for who he is, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And when Jesus calls him, he, he leaps at the chance to receive help and gives up everything else and asks for the one thing he really needs, sight. See, it's... it's uh, his faith is directed toward the right object, or I should say to the right person, the only one who can heal him. And finally, instead of being satisfied with receiving what he asked for and going back to life as usual, now with eyes to see, he doesn't go back. He goes forward following Jesus on the, on the hard road of discipleship. See, it's this blind man and not the 12 who is presented as a true disciple. So how can we be like him? Faith that persists. All of his actions, from crying out, shouting to Jesus, for his refusal to be intimidated by the crowd, throwing off his cloak, springing up to seek help, all of these are expressions of a single reality, his faith. Faith always acts. That's the true of uh, the four men who brought 
the paralytic, that's true of Jairus, that's true of all of these people we talked about. Faith is acting on what we know to be true. Jesus seeing their faith. Remember life groups? Each one of those letters stands for something, right? L stands for loving God and neighbor. We're still learning, so I'll give it to you. Uh, I stands for being instructed in the word. But F stands for faith in action. In our small groups, and some of us will gather this afternoon to get launched into our second study, uh, one of the things we learn in our groups is to, to move from, from faith, that, that initial faith with which you have come to Jesus, to express that faith in our action in our daily life. If we are to be disciples, we too need to grow into people whose initial faith in finding salvation is, finds expression in following Him in all matters of life. Second thing he does is makes the right request. A true disciple knows what to ask of Jesus. Unlike James and John, he asks Jesus for mercy. So let's revisit that question with which we started. And someone comes to ask you, if Jesus were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? In light of Bartimaeus, what would we ask him? Anybody want to change your answers? I'll let you <laughs> answer that for yourself. All those are real needs. Jesus is able to grant that to you as well. But... The, the sons of thunder, the Zebedee brothers, should have asked for what this man had asked for. Lord, we want to see you for who you are. Lord, we want to rightly perceive your mission. Lord, have mercy. We want to follow you, even if it means forsaking all that we have. Bartimaeus makes the right response as true disciples are called to. He casts away all his possessions, as meager as they may have been, and he follows Jesus to Jerusalem Answering Jesus' call that all who would come after him should take up their cross and following him. Uh, but the thing is, the, disciple, the, the rich man had an explicit call from Jesus, follow me. All that Bartimaeus got was, go your way. But Bartimaeus answers that call to follow Jesus, he, even if it is to Jerusalem and the cross. He was not blinded by his possessions. He has eyes, now he can see. He gives up all to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is worthy, as we sang a couple of weeks ago. How about us? We have eyes. Do we see Jesus for who he is? And whether we have that sight or not, can be recognized only if you are willing to follow him. Living the life that he calls us to live, making him known in, with, with all our lives. And let's go to him and ask for mercy to be just those kinds of people. That's it. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Man, the Lord of all, the suffering servant who came to give us life as a ransom for many. And because of him, we are here ransomed from sin, from death, from the devil. We are your people because you have shown mercy to us. And in your great wisdom, it is through us that you show to others that you are a God who is merciful. And to make that known to the world, uh, you call us to follow after Jesus, rightly knowing who he is and following after him. I pray that you would help us to do that, not just when we are gathered here on Sunday, but as we scatter from here to wherever you send us, to our homes, to our workplaces, our neighborhoods. Help us to be. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit CBC nyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170.
We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.